Amen. Well, we are in the third week of a sermon series that we've called Amazing Grace, and our goal has been to reflect and meditate on the themes of grace, how we receive grace, how we see grace given to us in Christ, how we live with grace, and how we give grace away to others. A few weeks ago, we began by looking at uh, saving grace. We looked at the story of the prodigal sons, this tremendous story of the young son who runs away, rejecting the father, and then finally comes to his senses and returns home to the gracious embrace of his father and the party and the story of the older son who's bitter about that. Last week, Pastor Dudley led us to think about God's grace being a healing grace, that as we look at the difficult things of our past, our history, it's the grace of God that comes in that allows us to experience forgiveness and heals us. And today, I want us to reflect on God's grace as a sustaining grace, that it's the same grace that saves us, God uses to sustain us, to move us forward in life. And we're doing this because what better way to prepare ourselves to spend 40 days thinking about love, the love of God and the love we have for one another than by contemplating the grace of God. And so a question that I think I want us to wrestle with this morning is a question that I think we all wrestle with um, often in life. And it's the simple question of, how do we keep going? How do we press on in life, even when things are difficult, when life pushes back against us, when life fight back, fights back against us? How do we move forward? How do we sustain ourselves or live in a healthy way that preserves us? Because we all have the tendency, it's a human tendency, to start things but not always finish them, right? It's kind of a human problem. Industries are built upon this very idea now. I don't know if you've noticed, but subscription services are kind of taking over the world now. You can have almost every, any product delivered to you, your, your, to your house on a monthly basis, you know, as long as you kind of have it linked to your bank account, it'll just keep coming out. And whether you've already got three or four Blue Apron boxes in your fridge, you know, and they're spoiling, you know, it's going to keep coming and the money's going to keep out. We just, that's a whole industry that's begun kind of around that idea. Fitness memberships, right? We have to start this idea to, to go and do something, but it doesn't always hold. We don't always finish. Kind of an idea begins, but then it fades. And this problem is just something that we all live with to some degree or another. One group I came across this week thinking about this idea um, tried to address this reality, this problem we all have. Uh, on a drizzly afternoon in early 2015, seven people gathered for Washington, D.C.'s newest group, the Quitters Club. And the tagline was, let's give up on our dreams together. And one attendee was ready to cast aside her long-held ambition to become an actress. There was the same deal for a would-be writer. Another one was ready to quit Washington, D.C. The hodgepodge group of strangers were drawn together by the same invite that read this, 
Most of us have something special we'd like to do with our lives. At the Quitters Club, we can help each other stomp out the brush fires set in our hearts and get on with our lives. The founder, Justin Cannon, had quit all sorts of things, filmmaking, music, graphic design. He's tortured by the dueling forces of grand ambition and intense self-doubt. Most often, the battle leaves him frozen and despondent. At one point, Cannon expressed this growing exasperation. He said, I was like, we should have a group where people just want to give up on their dreams together. I was making a joke, but then somebody said, you know, that's a really good idea. So a few days later, he took action and he posted a note on Meetup for this new group. And he thought might, you know, maybe attract a couple of people, but within 48 hours, 35 people had signed up. And for the next two hours when they met, one after another of the attendees expressed their dreams and their inability to make progress. But surprisingly, they ended up encouraging each other to persevere. The actress, the actress they decided, should give it one more hard push for a year before tossing out her dreams. The unhappy Washingtonian should look for a new job before giving up on the city. And the writer whose day job was getting in the way of the artistic pursuits should try to carve out more time each day for her passion. Here we are at the Quitters Club, he said, and we're all encouraging each other to keep going. I knew that was going to happen. I love that because I think all of us, everyone is trying to find the way in which we can sustain ourselves. We can find a way forward to keep going. And sometimes what sustains people is just the pursuit of trying to find that. Uh, one of the great musicians, Paul Simon, I was listening to an interview that he did with NPR a while back. And he was asked about the great mysteries of life and he said this, we don't have the capacity to understand the great mysteries of life and God or no God or infinity. We just can't get it. It's beyond us, but that's fine. We're not meant to get that, but the pursuit is so interesting. That, I think, is life-sustaining. And I think when you lose the interest in that pursuit, you are finished. You see, for some people, even just the pursuit of trying to find the next thing that will sustain us is what people turn to. And so where do we turn then in the busyness of life when life is coming at us fast and a life that tends to be um, exciting, life that can burn us out, life that can be confusing and thrilling? How do we sustain ourselves? And today I want us to see that just as God's grace saves us and just as God's grace heals us, God's gift of grace sustains us, the same grace. And so the question then becomes, how? How does God's grace sustain us? And this is on your uh, outline if you'd like to follow along this morning. And the first way that God's grace, and I just have two things that I want us to consider this morning. The first way God's grace sustains us is through the good news. Now, before you say, of course you were going to say that, here he goes again. I'm talking this morning about how the good news um, sustains us in a very specific way. So stick with me. 
Um, God's grace sustains us through the good news. And to bring this out, I want us to turn to Philippians chapter one, the letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippian church, the first few verses of chapter one. And it'll be on your screens. You can turn in a Bible if you have one. We'll look at verse one. Uh, But it's important for us to know that when Paul writes this, he is writing from prison. He's in chains. He's very uncertain about his future. And so he pens this letter to a church that he uh, cares very deeply for, a group of Christians that have really cared for him well. Even while he's in prison, they are supporting him. They're sending money. They're sending items for him to be cared for well. And he writes them these words. This is in verse 1. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is obviously in a very difficult spot. He is in a moment of crisis. Yet, here he is encouraging other Christians with this promise that there is something that they can be completely confident in. And it's what he is completely confident in for himself. And it's simply this, that God has begun a work in you, a work in him. And God's promise is that that work will be finished. That the project of you, the project of me, of Paul, will one day be finished in Christ Jesus. That is the promise of God. It's amazing when you think about it. In other words, unlike us with all of our human tendencies to start things but not finish them, the project that God has started in you and in me, we have this promise that God will finish it. It will be brought to completion, that the work will be sustained. And so we can have confidence true confidence that God's grace is complete. It is complete. When it starts in you and me, it will be finished. That's the big promise of God, that one day we will stand finished in the presence of Christ. The problem in this life, of course, is that the ups and downs of life start to happen and what happens is that it makes us begin to question whether God's grace is actually working in us or not. And we begin to doubt in our weakest moments. We start to wonder, do I really deserve God's grace? Is God's grace doing anything in my life at all? Am I moving forward at all? Am I going anywhere? Maybe I need to do a bit more. Maybe I need to try a little harder. And it's in those moments when we begin to lose sight of the promise. The promise that it's God's grace who is completing the work in you, who will finish 
the work in you. And I want you to think about Paul being in prison. I mean, this is the lowest of the lows for him. Life has been derailed in the moment. And so the questions have to be many for him. And so how do we as followers of Jesus, Christians, when life goes off the rails, how do we continue to see the grace of God sustaining us? I want to read you a quote from one of my favorite writers, Eugene Peterson, who uh, recently died um, this past year. He says this, The work of spirituality is to recognize where we are, the particular circumstances of our lives, to recognize grace and say, do you suppose God wants to be with me in a way that does not involve changing my spouse or getting rid of my spouse or my kids, but in changing me and doing something in my life that maybe I could never experience without this pain and this suffering? You see, the the Christian, as he or she grows in grace, begins to see how God's gift of grace is doing all the heavy lifting for us, is coming into all of those circumstances, those situations, and is doing the work. It is happening. God's grace is working in you, and the promise we hold on to is that that work will one day be completed. That's the great promise of verse 6 that I'd encourage all of you to try to remember and commit to memory, somehow mark it. But Paul says, being confident of this, confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So some of you may be thinking, okay, that's great and all, that promise, but tell me more about how I can do it. How... How can I sustain myself more, my life with God? What are the steps that I can take to do this? And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give you any steps for how you can sustain yourself better with God. Instead, I want us to think and reflect more deeply about what it means to simply rest in the grace of God that God's grace leads us all to rest and receive. That the posture of the follower of Jesus, the way we do the Christian life is to rest and receive. And that is difficult. (laughs) And the reason it's difficult is because our human condition has always led us away from God's presence. Because our hearts are sinful, and that's been the way from the very beginning when sin came into the world. We're not comfortable in the presence of God. And so we want to run and go out on our own and determine life for ourselves and break out on our own like that younger son, that younger prodigal. And the consequence of sin then comes into the world and it comes into our lives. And throughout the Bible, we read about how sin separates us from God, that we cannot come into the presence of God because he is holy due to our sin. And not only can we not come into that presence, but our sin is something that God has to punish, do away with. And that's the bad news of the gospel that we often talk about, that God, because he is holy, cannot see our sin and do nothing about it. But the good news of the gospel is that God himself 
has done the work. He came to us in Jesus and lived the perfect life, fulfilling all of the law of God so that he would become the perfect sacrifice that when he allows himself to go to the cross, he is punished in our place. What I deserved, what you deserved, my sin, is put away with so that we could come back into relationship with God, the relationship that we were intended to have. And the good news of the resurrection is this, and this is why it's so important. The resurrection of Jesus means that the work God started in Christ was completed. Life from death. And if that is true for Jesus, then the great promise that we hold on to is that it will be true for you and me. That even the greatest threat that we all face, death itself, cannot hold us because the promise of God is true. That if he raised Jesus from the dead, one day he will do so for us also. And so how do we respond to that good news? We respond by resting in it by receiving it into our lives each and every day. There's a place in the Gospels where uh, one of my favorite stories where Jesus is traveling and he comes to the home of a family that he is becoming close with, good friends with. This is in Luke chapter 10, a few verses. I'm gonna read them for you. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, I don't want to preach this text today because there's so much here. But what I simply want us to see is the posture of these two sisters. One sister, Martha, is continually moving around. Right? She's busy posturing and preparing for Jesus She's definitely, no doubt, worried about how she's going to be perceived by the group that's coming. And so she's working hard. She's worried. She's anxious. And then you have Mary, the other sister. And what is she doing? She's just sitting with Jesus. She's resting. And she's like, Jesus is in my house. And so I'm going to sit here with him. And I'm just going to receive whatever he has for me. This is what I am going to do. And it's the same Mary that later in the Gospels, we're told, comes to Jesus. She kind of breaks into this meeting of all men, and she has this very expensive box or jar of perfume, and she breaks it on the feet of Jesus, and she wipes his feet clean with her tears and the perfume, totally devoted to him in his presence. Mary is concerned about being with Jesus and Jesus sees what's happening between the two sisters and he confronts Martha with some of the most confrontational yet somehow tender and only the way that Jesus can do these words are remarkable he says Martha Martha 
You are worried and upset about so many things, but few things are needed. Only one indeed. Mary has chosen what is better. And so what is needed, Jesus said, what's needed is for you to be here, to be in my presence. That's all. That's it. A few, few weeks ago when we were talking about the prodigal sons, the one son wanders away from the presence of God, away from the presence of his father, only to come to his senses and realize that I have to be in the presence of my father anywhere but here, that whatever it's going to look like, let me go home. And what he is floored by is the way he's received, that he finds grace, saving grace, And then the father says, let's throw a party, the biggest feast you can imagine, overwhelmed by grace. But there's that older son, right, who sees all that happening, who stayed close by, who did all the right things, and he becomes so overwhelmed by bitterness that he can't come into the party. And the father goes out to meet him too and says, son, what's going on? Come in. The party is here. I'm here. Be with me. I can't help but see some of the similarities between those two brothers and these two sisters. Can you see it? Here's Mary sitting and receiving the grace of God in the presence of Jesus, embraced by him, throwing herself on the mercy of Jesus. And then there's Martha, the one who's doing everything and who's thinking that she should expect everyone else to kind of do it the way she's doing trying to impress whatever may be going all of her motivations and just like the father in the story of the prodigal sons who goes out to meet the older brother to bring him into the party Jesus turns to Martha and says Martha what are you doing I'm here come in come be with me rest everything is going to be okay And some of us may need to hear that again today, that everything is going to be okay because of Jesus, because he's invited you and me into the gracious wonder of his love. That's the party, the feast, being in the family of God. Martha, leave all of that. Son, come inside. The party is for you too. We celebrate. This is the promise that the work, the project that he's doing in you and me will be completed. And so rest and receive it. That is how we sustain ourselves in this life. And so God's grace sustains us through the good news of that, of God's radical grace. But there's one other way that I think is so important for us to remember. How is God's grace gonna sustain us? Not only through the good news, but through one another. Through one another and in 2019 where it is becoming easier and easier for us to live independent and detached lives from one another this is so important that one of the ways that God's grace is going to work in your life to sustain you is actually through one another through the people in this room to the people that God has placed around you verse 3 of Philippians 1 Paul's saying that about these Philippians. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Every time I remember you, I thank God. In all my prayers for you, I pray with joy because 
of your partnership with me in the gospel. We are in this together, and that is what is sustaining me, Paul says. He's in prison, and yet he is overwhelmed with what for his friends? Thanksgiving. He's giving thanks for those that God has placed in his life that are showing grace to him, taking care of him, helping to sustain him. And that's what we do for one another. There is no doubt if you took the time, and I'd invite you to do this regularly, if you took the time to look into your past, into your life now, and you were to see all of the people that God has placed around you, how they are helping you, how they are bringing you along, how they are forcing you to take next steps along the promise of God to be that finished work that he is making. They are sustaining you. It's true for all of us if we take the time to look and then to give thanks for it. I'm a huge sports fan. Sometimes that creates some problems for me. Um, this summer, this past summer, I would not really gotten into it before, but I found myself, I was not expecting to be interested, but I found myself for the first time really watching the Tour de France, which is of course one of the most grueling sporting events in the world. This kind of three week uh, cycling event through France, up the mountains, down the mountains, just incredible. I would watch kind of the replays at night. And you know, what appears as you look at it for the first time as just this incredibly um, grueling individual task, 100 or so cyclists. What you begin to realize as you're watching it is that it's not at all actually an individual task. These other riders have teammates and they're a part of a team and you can see them helping each other and planning and plotting how they're gonna go through the race together. And then you start to learn that almost every rider has probably no less than 40 or 50 people working with them each and every day. What seems to be kind of this individual pursuit is in fact maybe one of the great examples of teamwork there is. And the point for us as I share that is to simply recognize that when we are thinking that our life is just this one big individual pursuit with God, that I'm gonna get there one day on my own. When we start to really wake up to the idea, we look around, we ask God to show us, we're going to realize that there's no less, maybe there's 40 or 50 people. There is no less than a small army, most likely, around you that are helping you, that are sustaining you in God's grace that are bringing you along the great promise of God that one day you too, me, we will be that finished work. We will be that completed project. And even though Paul is separated from the Philippians, there is this deep sense of belonging, of being together in something, and that's what's getting him through. And that's what's important for us to recognize too. We give thanks for that. We see it. And then realize that we share in something together. We share in this grace. It is for us individually, but it is also the work that we share in, God's grace together. And we see this at the very end of that section in verse seven of Philippians one. He says, 
it is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. We're in this together, he says. We are sharing the grace of God, and that is what sustains us. That's why it's so good for you to be here each and every week. We talked about this a lot yesterday in our membership seminar, that we believe that it's important for us to gather like this because we help sustain each other. When you are here, your physical presence, when you show up, God's grace begins to work through you for the benefit of other people. Have you thought about that when you decide whether or not to come to church on a Sunday morning? God is using you for the benefit of helping to sustain others. And so we don't see each other. We miss out on that. We miss the opportunity to be used by God to sustain others. We share in this together. And you know, over the last few weeks, I've been thinking a lot, wondering a lot about the young prodigal, the young son who wanders but who returns home to the lavish grace of his father. And I've been wondering about that older son who's overwhelmed with his bitterness at the grace of his father. And then I've been thinking about Mary and Martha and how they were responding to Jesus and his grace. And the question I have kind of thinking about that is, what do you think it is that kept the young prodigal from running away again? From leaving? He's a leaver. What keeps him from running again? What keeps the older son? Maybe could he have finally got it and understood the grace of God? What keeps him from being overwhelmed by his bitterness again? Or Mary, what keeps her right there devoted at the feet of Jesus? And what confronts and brings Martha to the place to realize, I don't have to do all this. I can let it go. And what keeps her from returning back to all of that anxiety and worry. See, in my opinion, I think what the gospel tells us is that the only thing that keeps the prodigal from running again is to each and every day remember the grace that he received when he came home. Each and every day, the grace that I received when I came home is what keeps me home. That's what sustains us. Not doing more, not trying to be something, and the grace that hopefully overwhelms the older son reminds him that the party is for me too. It's for you too if you're the elder brother type. God's grace is for you. Right? And for Martha, those of you who may be at times overwhelmed with anxiety and worry and trying to worry about how people perceive you and all the things that you need to do, you see her sister sitting and you hear Jesus invite you to come rest receive what I'm here for I'm here for you that's how we are sustained in the grace of God that's how we move forward to be that completed project we rest and we receive what do I do as a Christian tell me what to do rest and receive God's grace for you and let it sustain you. 
and then help each other do it too. Through one another, we share in that together. That's how we move forward in life. And the great promise is that as we do it, it will be finished. You will be a completed project. And just as a homework assignment, whoever you've come with today, maybe a spouse, a friend, maybe think a little bit about today, about what that finished product of the people you're close to may look like. Can you imagine that? We get bogged down sometimes. We get, you know, our relationships go through problems. Can you look at your other friends, spouse, loved one, and see the work that they will one day be? That is a beautiful thing to consider. Would you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks that your word invites us to see that the life that you um, want for us is not one overwhelmed with busyness or worry or one that is consumed with bitterness, wondering how we're being perceived um, or doubting that you love us and so we run. God, you invite us and you confront us in whatever way we need to hear the words to come to you and to rest, to receive the grace that you have for us. And then once we've received it, to not move past it, to not think that I've graduated to something else, some deeper truth, but each and every day to continue to rest and receive that your grace is for me. And so whether we are Marys or Marthas or whether we are younger brothers or elder brothers, God, would your grace find us and in only the way that you can, Jesus, and you call us to come close, to rest, and be sustained in this life because you will never give up on us, that this project will never fail. Help us to hold on to that promise that we will be a finished work in Christ. We pray all these things in his precious name. Amen.